residents from the area by bombing their homes. Our neighborhood had had so many unsolved, clan-related bombings that people dubbed our street Dynamite Hill, yet none of these bombers ever faced arrest or punishment. Our ranch-style brick house had a good-sized grassy front yard, a fenced-in backyard for Barbara's beloved dogs, and a large, thick picture window in our living room and recreation room facing Center Street. In the evenings, my dad, mother, sister, and I often sat in the recreation room together and watched television. If it was a Saturday night, together we enjoyed my dad's favorite meal, hot dogs with mustard and fresh-squeezed lemonade. Every Saturday night. On this particular night, however, our family sat outside on the front porch, It was unusually quiet, except for the sounds of crickets and a few cars passing by every now and then. Then the roar of an engine cut through the night air as a car filled with angry white youth raced down the hill toward our house. A Legal Pioneer For years, our mother, whom we lovingly called Mummy, had begged Daddy to move us far away from Alabama and its unjust Jim Crow laws that segregated black and white people, away from white officials who responded with physical violence when anyone challenged their humiliating laws. But our dad, born and reared in Alabama, was committed to stay and help the state's black people in spite of the Klan's constant threats of violence to him. In all their years together, my mom lost only one major argument to my dad— whom she affectionately called Shores, and that was refusing to move our family to Michigan, as she requested. Our father, Arthur Davis Shores, had studied hard and passed the Alabama bar exam in 1937. He was not the first black man to pass the Alabama bar exam, but for a long time he was the only practicing black attorney in the state of Alabama. As one author described the situation in those days, between 1925 and 1937, the need for black lawyers in Alabama was so great that hundreds of poor colored people are hard labor prisoners today because they did not have a lawyer to represent them. Daddy was a pioneer who dared to step into the white man's court and defend the unjustly accused black man and woman. He had bravely represented and won civil rights cases in Alabama for some 25 years before Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. arrived in Birmingham in 1963 with the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, SCLC. The Klan made life difficult for my family, and especially for my dad, a quiet, soft-spoken gentleman and a man of deep Christian faith. Known as a civil rights lawyer, he believed that, By continually representing Negroes in cases that resulted in changing the status quo, I became known as an enemy to the good people of Birmingham. On the Defensive For our family's protection, our dad kept several guns in our house. One was a small Smith & Wesson he wore in a leather holster strapped to his shoulder under his suit coat every time he left the house. The other was an old Colt forty-five he kept loaded in a dresser drawer in the guest bedroom. He never shot anybody and only reached for the gun once, 
when he felt our family was threatened. But loaded guns gave us, as well as many other black families on Dynamite Hill, some needed protection and a sense of security against repeated clan threats and violence. I loved and admired my dad, but it was not easy being his daughter. When our dad represented Authorine Lucy in the early to mid-1950s and got involved in the integration of the University of Alabama, things really heated up. Miss Lucy, the first black student admitted, caused an uproar when she wanted to enroll and study at the all-white state university. We kept the loaded guns close to us that year. Some men in our neighborhood took turns guarding our house, just in case clan members decided to plant a bomb and blow it up. Our neighbors worked as volunteer security guards, and they would jump anybody who even looked like a threat to our dad or to our family. Once they tackled and pinned down to the ground a Western Union messenger who was simply trying to deliver a telegram to us. In those days, no one was above suspicion. Life on Dynamite Hill That year, 1953, we had moved from our home on First Street to Dynamite Hill's Center Street, only five blocks away to the neighborhood known as Smithfield, squarely in the middle of Birmingham's racial zoning conflict. Whenever our mother learned what new cases our father was taking on, she would exclaim with a look of fear in her face, Lord have mercy, what is your father doing now? But each evening, our dad knelt and prayed for safety and for change. And each morning, he woke.